Super Bowl 58 and the 2023 NFL season are officially in the books. The Kansas City Chiefs defeating the San Francisco 49ers. What lessons can be learned from each team for the Miami Dolphins, plus a report around the contract of Tua Tagovailoa, which came out yesterday. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami. Welcome to another episode of Locked On Dolphins. It's your team every day here on the Locked On Network. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, a lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, host of Locked On Dolphins, co-host of Locked On NFL Scouting. You can find our shows on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Tip of the cap to our everydayers because it is your team every day here on the Locked On Network. We don't just say it. We live it. Today's episode of Locked On Dolphins is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNFL and use code LockedOnNFL in all our case for a first deposit match of up to $100. Welcome to the first official show of the NFL offseason, not the Dolphins offseason, which started a few weeks ago, but the entirety of the NFL offseason Super Bowl 58 in overtime, Kansas City winning by a final score of 25 to 22. And uh, as this game plays out, I'm watching this game as a fan of football, but I'm also watching this game through the lens of evaluating the conference champions representing both the AFC and NFC and measuring them against the Miami Dolphins. And obviously there's a head to two head to head matchups against Kansas city this past season that you, you can use for measuring six, both in a neutral site game and a playoff road game uh, in Kansas city. That's a little bit more direct one for one, but there's bigger picture themes beyond just a sampling of the two teams playing each other. There's, there's the process and each team's individual process and the construction of their rosters and the parallels between the two, uh, especially with Mike McDaniel versus Kyle Shanahan. Uh, Mike McDaniel obviously coming off of that coaching staff to come to Miami. And I'm watching this game and there's some shortcomings and mistakes and some decision-making that paralleled that of Mike McDaniel. And it reminded me of the, uh, the Eminem song, right? Don't you want to grow up to be just like me? And it's Mike McDaniel as he's coming into his own as a head coach and the parallels between the things that we talk about on this show for the Dolphins that need to be improved upon and need to change and need to show growth with or need to be adjusted. And you're seeing the same stuff from the guy who raised him up as a coach as far as you know the elevated role that eventually put him on the path to being coming the Miami Dolphins head coach. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, once again, got away from playing the run with a lead in the Super Bowl. And it wasn't as extreme, and there was still some aggressiveness. It wasn't overly conservative. Mike McDaniel, I think, at times can be the opposite, where he can be too aggressive. But getting away from the run game can, at times, be a theme. And it's odd how, for San Francisco, a team that has been willing to run into heavy boxes at times. You get midway through the second half, and Tony Romo's on the broadcast, and I didn't like the job Tony did particularly, and I know a lot of people didn't, but he's saying, man, we got to get back to 21 and, and 22 personnel. We got to run the ball. And San Francisco greatly struggled outside of their 21 and 22 personnel to run the ball. They averaged three and a half yards carry against Kansas City. 
And that gets back to another parallel that the Dolphins have a chance to avoid making the same mistake with. San Francisco's offensive line was overwhelmed. Trent Williams didn't play his best game. Trent Williams might be the best tackle in football. But that offensive line unit beyond that, as like Colton McKivitz, the day three draft pick out of West Virginia, John Feliciano was a, a journeyman offensive lineman. You have Aaron Banks as a, a day two pick, but an unproven commodity as you let Lakin Tomlinson leave in free agency. And there's an understanding departure to allow to happen because of the cost and, and trying to invest in, in particular areas. But as the Dolphins have Connor Williams and Robert Hunt as expiring contracts now on their interior offensive line, I can't help but be mindful that San Francisco's offensive line, when Trent Williams missed time this year, looked horrible. And then in the postseason against Kansas City, really struggled when they didn't have their 21 and 22 personnel fieldings out there, which would be Kittle and Warner and Juszczyk and McCaffrey all out there at the same time for all of the multitude of ways that they can change the formational strength and the angles based on shifts and motions and how they structure the backfield, all of that. When it came down to winning individual matchups up front, Mike Pennell and Chris Jones and Karloftis, those guys had themselves a day up front. And San Francisco averages three and a half yards a carry and needs Christian McCaffrey to catch eight balls for 80 yards uh, to, to really have success. And in the same way that Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill in a road game on Saturday night against Kansas City got overmatched by Trent McDuffie and by uh, LeJerry Sneed, Debo Samuel was targeted 11 times, had three catches for 33 yards. Brandon Ayuk was targeted six times, had three catches for 49 yards. George Kittle was targeted three times, had two catches for four yards. Kansas City took away the skill players, the, the premier players other than McCaffrey, in the same way that Miami's premier players were taken away against Kansas City. And Miami's offensive line with a backup center and a backup guard were overwhelmed in the same way that San Francisco's was. And San Francisco gets all the way to the Super Bowl. Then there's the overtime, the, the coin toss decision. And it's not a one-for-one. One. But Mike McDaniel, it's known, if he wins the coin toss, he's going to defer to the second half because he wants the additional information and a chance to uh, get the start, the extra, potentially the extra possession at the start of the second half of the game. There's game theory involved there, and I get it. Well, conventional wisdom says you want the extra possession in the second half, so you always do it, right? But sometimes it be would benefit your team to start the, the game with the football and set a tone offensively, especially as a team that's constructed to play from the lead. Just like for San Francisco in the Super Bowl last night, Conventional wisdom says, if you win the coin toss in overtime, you take the ball, you want the ball, right? Because if you go down and score a touchdown in regulation, you win the game. But the rules in the playoffs are different. And apparently some San Francisco 49ers players were unaware that the playoff rules were different for overtime. In the playoffs, and this came after, I believe it was the 13 seconds game with Kansas City and Buffalo, um, 
if you possess the ball first in overtime and you score a touchdown, the game will continue. The other team has the chance to catch the ball, to possess the ball. And Kansas City players after the game said, we knew if we won the toss to start overtime, we were going to defer and let San Francisco have the ball first. And we knew if they went down and scored a touchdown, our plan was to go score a touchdown and go for two and win the game instead of extending overtime further. Meanwhile, San Francisco's players were unaware that the rules were different in overtime in the postseason. Now, it didn't matter because they didn't score a touchdown. They kicked a field goal. But uh, the fact that conventional wisdom says, yeah, you win in overtime and take the ball. Well, with the rules being what they are, it benefits you, it behooves you to have the ball second because you know what you need to win the game. So having an awareness of the individual situation beyond just the general consensus game theory of how to handle a coin toss decision is something that we've talked about with Mike McDaniel. Kyle Shanahan just did it. And we'll rightfully get blasted for it all week. And the last thing that I had was the uh, style of play and the margins for winning. San Francisco has a special teams blunder with a punt that goes off Daryl Luter's leg uh, on a punt that, that creates a muffed punt that Kansas City recovers. And that really was the straw that, that, that or the, the, the hole that broke the levee open for Kansas City offensively. They had nothing going up till that point. And that was with two minutes left in the third quarter. San Francisco also had a blocked extra point. But for those unfortunate bounces of the ball, and to win a Super Bowl, you do ultimately need the ball to bounce your way a few times. You do need to get lucky at times. It's an inconvenient truth of winning a Super Bowl because Kansas City went two for six in the red zone. They, They did not drive the length of the field for a touchdown until the possession in overtime. They didn't play particularly well, and they still won. San Francisco had a couple kill shot opportunities. The end of regulation and with the ball first in overtime. And they had to settle for field goals twice. And uh, with a rhythmic, run-focused, run-after-catch, timing-based offense, when you're going against a guy like Mahomes, your margin for errors are slimmer to finish the job. And San Francisco had him down, but they couldn't pin him for a three count. And that is something that we will continue to talk about for the Dolphins with their construction because of the parallels between the offenses. They're different offenses, but there's parallels and stylistic parallels and physical attribute parallels with the quarterbacks. Your margin for error to finish the job is slimmer which means the rest of you has to be better. And Kansas City still, in spite of not playing well, found enough margins between special teams and field possession and an extra turnover and a blocked extra point. And the defense buckling down when they had to, in spite of their own offense going two for seven in the red zone or two for six in the red zone. And one of those was a one play 16 yard touchdown drive. Parallels. Things to be mindful of things to be aware of with your process that you need to attack to give yourself the best chance to compete because you're on the side of the fence with all the loaded quarterbacks. Up next, Kansas City and their long-term plan is our next focus here on Locked on Dolphins. Look forward to diving into that, so make sure that you stick with us. We'll be right back. 
Prize Picks is America's number one fantasy sports app with more than 3 million users. They're the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS because it is you against the numbers. You pick more or less on two to six player stat projections, and you can watch your winnings roll in. It's demon time on Prize Picks. You can now win up to 100 times your money with as little as four correct picks. You could turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and Goblins is the new most exciting way to play. At prize picks, squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. You can now win up to 100 times your money with as little as four correct picks. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make selections in less than 60 seconds on your phone. And they accept Apple Pay, so make sure you are constantly in the game. So go to prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNFL. That is prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNFL. And use code LockedOnNFL for a first deposit match of up to $100. So the Chiefs um, win again. Their their third Lombardi Trophy in five years, and the way that they have done it, there's been an evolution of this team throughout the Mahomes era that is really eye-opening when you consider how this uh, started when Pat comes in his first year as a starter. Gangbusters, the team is incredible offensively with – peak Kelsey and peak Tyreek Hill um, versus what it was last night, which was a team that really, frankly, Pat made the clutch moments and turn it on in the fourth quarter and overtime. Uh, but this was a defensive team first and foremost for a lot of this year, which is really eye-opening when you consider they entered the season with the youngest defense in football. This team evolved their identity in a three-year stretch that included them drafting Legereus Need, Trent McDuffie, George Karloftis, Willie Gay, Nick Bolton, Leo Chanel, uh, Jalen Watson, and Joshua Williams, all between 2020 and 2022. It's a three-year draft class, or a three-year cycle of draft classes on the defensive side of the ball. McDuffie might have been the best player on the field. Legereus Need is a bona fide 20-plus million dollar-year quarterback. They got him in the fourth round. There's a draft and develop element here. Well, they draft Karloftis as part of their segue away from Frank Clark. They load up on linebackers. They go for big, long, toolsy physical corners. Sneed, Watson, and Williams are all long, physical, athletic corners that were all day three picks. The one guy they invested in early was Trent McDuffie, who was perceived to be a nickel. As if that's a bad thing. That's how they got Trent McDuffie was he's, quote-unquote, only a nickel. But this is accomplished in part because the Chiefs did the thing that the Dolphins at some point are going to have to do. They traded Tyreek Hill. And I'm not saying the Dolphins have to trade Tyreek Hill. But the Chiefs had an asset who they moved on from and got premium capital back. And I think for the Dolphins to maximize the winning window, assuming things go well enough where your football brain trust, your football operations, your front office, your coaching staff is going to sustain year over year over year over year. And you have the kind of stability that you're thriving and striving for. I think there needs to be some kind of breakthrough in 2024 to justify that. But if that happens, there's going to come a point where you're going to have to restock the pond. And you can't just restock the pond by floating your way through here, getting through having 
the Bradley Chubb day three pick come off the board this year that belongs to Denver recouping your picks that you lost from a tampering issue, which is a really unfortunate set of circumstances because it could have avoided putting the Dolphins in this position. If we're being honest, an extra first and an extra third the last two years in draft capital would be massive for the outlook of the Dolphins roster construction through no fault of the current head coach, the current quarterback, the current roster, the current general manager. That stinks. But that's the unfortunate reality. And when you're assessing the decision maker at the top, he's probably got to be mindful of that. He's probably going to be mindful of the situation that they were put in where their own plans were blown up from within and blew up their draft capital. And you can't change it. It is what it is. But my point is this. Kansas City let Tyron Matthew, Javaris Ward, and Frank Clark all leave in free agency for nothing in 2021. Orlando Brown, Juan Thornhill, Andrew Wiley, all leave in free agency. Two starting tackles and a starting safety that's probably a top 15 safety in football left in free agency after 2022. Ty Matthews is a stud. Ward's probably San Francisco's best corner. Frank Clark at the time was a highly played player. Left. For nothing. That's going to be relevant with what happens with Xavier Howard, probably, probably Christian Wilkins, potentially on the offensive line. The biggest difference is Kansas City found an asset that they could maximize value as a departing player. And it helped to restock the pond. Who will that be for the Dolphins? That's a question. I don't envy them having to answer, but it's probably a question that needs to be answered within the next 24 months. Because right now, all your premier assets that are young players on rookie contracts, I mean, Javon Holland's coming in the last year of his rookie deal. You've got Jalen Waddle, who you're going to exercise a fifth-year option on, which is a no-brainer for 2025. And same thing for Jalen Phillips. I think Jalen Phillips will warrant, in spite of the, the Achilles injury, will warrant a fifth-year option being exercised. He's been a, a, a quality starter. It felt like he was on the verge of a double-digit sack breakout season. But if you're not including the fifth-year option, those players are attractive assets now. Not next year, because Javon Holland, you'll be going into in the same shoes that Christian Wilkins is in. Well, he's an expiring contract. Do you franchise tag him and try and trade him? It's kind of a weird spot to be. Now, maybe it's a big contract player like a Tyreek Hill who gets closer to the end of his deal, and it's like, hey, he's got a year left on his contract. He's owed $35 million in cash or whatever the dollar amount is. It's more, more the idea as far as the specifics, or Bradley Chubb or whoever else, and say, Hey, maybe a player like this, he plays a premium position or he's still a, a game-changing elite player. You move on from a player like that because a team can justify, well, we don't have to, we don't have the prorated dollars. You could restructure the contract in the same way that the Dolphins do with Jalen Ramsey, so he's on the books for like $5 million in cap space this year and you get an elite player. But your window to do that with players mitigates as they get into their 30s. So... For Miami to maximize a long-term winning plan, if that's the route that they want to go, and they don't have to go that way. 
You could also say we're going to build it up, build it up, build it up, build it up. We'll have a transitional year where we strip all the bad contracts. We keep the young players that we know are going to be here long term. We have a disproportionate amount of their salary cap that's wrapped up in dead cap in one year. We try to pull a bunch of young assets and we rebuild from there with a firm nucleus as compared to in 2019 when you tore everything down. They could go that route. It's the, the Rams route, right? And the, the Rams in the second year out of it went, what, won 10 games and made the playoffs and could have beat the Detroit Lions in the playoffs on the road. So like, you have options on how you do it, but if they want to choose to go the Kansas City sustained route, including with a quarterback on a second contract, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, you're running out of time to make a decision on who's that player going to be. And maybe it's you get on the board in 2020 with the 21st pick and you take a look at the assets and you say, man, we really want interior defensive linemen and interior offensive linemen. And uh, there's it's not an alignment of value versus who's on the board with this pick. Let's trade out. Let's trade to 36 and try to get a first round pick next year. And maybe you do it that way. That's another way to do it. But there has to be at some point a trigger pulled for a maneuver that sets you up to do what Kansas City was able to do with their defensive side of the ball as they continue to evolve the identity of their team and not just be, oh, we're going to score 38 points a game with Pat Mahomes. It's like, no, we're going to be in top three scoring defense in the league. And they did it thanks to a very a three-year sampling of successful drafting. And I think Miami needs to prepare themselves for that avenue if that's the avenue they choose to go. And if they don't, okay. And we'll know by the end of this year, by the end of this offseason, we'll know what, what boat they put themselves in largely. Say, man, we're going to push this to the limit, or man, we tried to push this to the limit. And now maybe you have a little bit of a transitional year and then you try to keep the floor at, at double digit wins and try to peak every two or three years. We'll see. We have a report that came out courtesy of NFL network that is next here on this episode of locked on dolphins. Stick with us. DoorDash went all out for game day with the big game and DoorDash stuff from some of the ads to one lucky winner, cars, snacks, and even tax software. Somehow they pulled it off. I'm a little bummed that I didn't get the delivery, but at the same time, you do got to hand it to them. It was one heck of a delivery. DoorDash is the all-in-one app for your everyday needs from restaurants to groceries to flowers and gifts. So next time you're running low on dinner ideas, pet supplies, or just time, you can get so much more than you realize delivered. Whichever watch party or anything party you've got coming up, you can get it delivered with DoorDash. Football season may be over, but we're in the thick of basketball games, the school year. And let's face it, winter, it's cold outside. I think of a million different reasons to use DoorDash, especially if I don't want to step foot outside because I want to freeze my butt off. DoorDash, your door for more. Head to the DoorDash app to get everything you need delivered. NFL Network in the buildup to. Uh, the Super Bowl yesterday had programming on. And one of the things that was talked about was quarterback market and quarterback contracts specifically. And in that exchange with Tom Pelissero and Ian Rappaport, um, they touched on to a tongue of And the quote that came out, there, there's something important that I think came out. And there's something that's not very important that I think came out. The quote 
There's two quotes. With the salary cap continuing to rise, this is a direct quote, Tungvaluano has a strong case to push for a contract at or above Joe Burrow's top of market, $55 million per season. It was additionally noted that both sides would like to get a deal done quickly. And I would just like to say the second part is the most important part. Because um, I, I know how information game works. The game within the game. And I can assure you the tone and the messaging and the scope of Tongvaloa now has a strong case to push for a contract at or above Joe Burrow's top of market $55 million per season. Which side of the fence do you think would benefit from that being out in the air as publicly discussed? To his representation or the Dolphins themselves? I'm sure to his representation would love for that to be the norm and accepted and expected outcome. I do not expect that to be the outcome. I do not expect Tua to crack a, a contract in that stratosphere, but his camp is well within their rights and doing their job to do everything within their power, including leveraging reports in a public setting on the NFL's uh, owned network to say this player has a strong case for a top-of-market deal. It's part of the negotiations. I think that part's not as important because it's a part of the public leveraging game as the two sides do the dance to try to come together and figure out a deal and dollars. The important part is the footnote. The quiet thing is actually the thing that we should be reading into the most. Both sides would like to get a deal done quickly. Because if that's the case, and that's reported, I would expect that information probably comes from both sides of the fence for them to be able to report that. That, And we've heard Chris Greer say the expectation is that Tua Tungvaloa is going to be here and playing football at a high level for a long period of time. If both sides are interested in finding a deal quickly, then that, to me, says there's probably some pliability on, on where this ends up. Just to give you a rundown of the top of the quarterback market as things currently stand. You had four contracts last year, pretty much in succession, that all came, kicked in one after the next in the summertime. And each one reset the market. It was Jalen Hurts, and then it was Lamar Jackson, and then it was Justin Hurd, then it was Joe Burrow. Hurts $51 million per season. Lamar Jackson, $52 million per season. That was a long, drawn-out saga. Justin Herbert gets 52 and a half. Joe Burrow gets 55 per season on average. Below that, those are the only four quarterbacks in the 50s. You have Russell Wilson at 49, Kyler Murray at 46.1, Deshaun Watson at 46, Patrick Mahomes at 45, Josh Allen at 43, Dak Prescott, Matt Stafford, Daniel Jones at 40. Sounds like Dak Prescott one is going to be addressed. Sounds like the Patrick Mahomes one is going to be addressed. Um, for the Dolphins negotiations, if it were me, and I, there's a whole show that we're going to do, that 
uh, is going to be dedicated in the same way that we did with Robert Hunt, assuming the Dolphins don't get this deal done so quickly that I don't have time to finish the prep. But it's it's like two weeks of prep. It's a lot of heavy lifting to do quarterback contracts, especially the way that some of them are structured. I think there's ways that you can structure this deal in in top 10 quarterback pay because top 10 takes you through two, four, six, eight, ten. Uh, top 10 will put you at 40. You're going to get more than 40. I'll tell you that. Uh, is he going to get 55? I would be stunned if he got more than 50, uh, 55 or more. I think he'd be stunned. I would be stunned. I think there's a couple pockets within there uh, that, that's maybe the middle ground from what Tungavaloa's camp is probably putting out into the ethos, as we saw yesterday, and where the Dolphins camp would probably like to sit as well. Um. It's a complex conversation. It's a massive decision. It is a massive implication for every other element of the team. It will require a lot of prep work on me. I'm in the process of doing that. But I don't read too much into... Tom Velo has a strong case to push for contract at or above Joe Burrow's top of market $55 million a year per season. And I read a lot more into both sides would like to get a deal done quickly because that's information that in order to be reported has to be collected from both sides of the fence. As compared to I can come out and say, Tony Velo should get paid $36 million per season. And I could say that as an opinion. But for both sides to want to get a deal done quickly, that has to be corroborated from mutual parties. We um we have a good week coming up this week on Locked On Dolphins. I won't spoil all the fun, but I can tell you we are going to start to explore some of the free agency markets for the Dolphins. We're continuing our prep work for the 2024 offseason blueprint, which is my entirety of mock offseason, uh, which is coming up in the next couple of weeks as well. Uh, but that requires more shows that lay the foundation and, and help to paint the picture of what options the Dolphins have at a number of different spots. Yeah, that to look forward to. Uh, so come on back and see me again soon. You can find me on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I'm Kyle Krabs, Locked on Dolphins, your team every day. Fins up. Appreciate you guys checking out the show.